0: And then you can hold on. You can have your time. Okay, we're on. we're on. Marcy, You, good to have you. You go ahead.
1: It's okay for me?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay, well, people, I am the self-appointed protector of life of our, prof- our professor. And if you remember, he was having balance problems and I presented him with a beautiful professor's cane, and he said he would not use it. Okay, so when the virus hit, I gave him three different types of medical masks and one type was n 95s which are now worth their weight in gold. And he told me he would not use them. Then he called me one day And he said i couldn't get you out of my head all day i said why well he hurt his foot he had to go to the foot doctor when he walked in there the woman at the desk said do you have a mask and he said yeah a friend gave me some okay then he walks in and the doctor is examining his foot and everything and he looked at him he said do you have a cane
0: <laughs> and if you knew me, you'd know what my answer that said, would have been.
1: <laughs> he said yes. A friend gave me a case, <laughs> so I'm still protecting his life, and he's he doesn't want me to. Most ungrateful professor I've ever known. Okay, my story is over. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> are, are
0: there are there any other activists online tonight? <laughs> Political activists, personal activists.
2: 10
0: to talk
2: about, um, what?
0: Nothing. Oh. Okay. Um, oh, God. Here. I'm sorry. I've got to. You know, I'll be right back.
2: Is that an <laughs> we
1: oh God. Hey, does anyone know how to rock? use this Microsoft app on an iPad. Are they familiar with it? Yeah, download well, Yeah, if you download it from the App Store on your iPad, you should be able to do I it. I did. How do you get everybody on my screen? Um, there might be an option to show uh, more people. Can you see anyone? You had
0: that one fixed thing.
1: Whatever it fixed people it. on one of them. I see David. I see Bob and I see the lady with the glasses and the brown and black spots.
2: It should switch those pictures out as people.
1: Yeah. I don't people. I'm listening.
0: Gita, are you? Are you <laughs> I don't have any. Uh
1: oh, she's out of Microsoft Hill. Out of
0: the Hi,
1: Jeannie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Touch those three dots. It gives you more actions. More actions.
1: I don't see more actions.
2: Let's
0: let's get started. You got? If you could struggle with that, do you have an answer, or just no. Okay. No, yeah, right. oh, how'd you do that? How'd you get her in? I'm... Oh, she start talking, so her oh. her. there's too many people to show well, there. So so it that's the limit. The It'll only show. Like, the okay. People who are talking. Just just so you know, what Mike just said is that the screen will be limited to the number of people talking. So there'll be some people not present in image, I guess. But as soon as they start talking. Yeah. As Soon as you start talking, you'll pop in again. So I guess we'll cool. be in and out with each other. Okay. Well, yeah. I've still got to learn. I'm, all this is so new to me, but um, let's start. Just um, before we started, it's I want to say from the bottom of my heart and from Suzanne's, it's good to see you all again, genuinely. Um, um, we've missed you all, um, missed you all greatly, and I hope everybody's okay. I know the Corona thing has um, affected a lot of people. We used to look at it as if it were something out there, you know, in New Jersey or New York or, but it's getting closer and closer to home. And, and at mass on Saturday, father mentioned that there are um, people in the parish who are testing positive. So it's, it's here and I just hope you're all being safe and okay. Um, Let's, let's start with a prayer and a poem. Let's pick up and do what we used to do, and, and then I'm going to try to find my way into this. Before we begin, I can't tell you how uncomfortable I am with this. Um, I, I've not been in a setting like this before. I think if you know me, you know how physically oriented I am. Um, to be present to each other and not in our bodies is a little bit disconcerting. Um, I'm so used to seeing you all in the same space and being able to go up and hug you or shake hands or here, you're all in your own worlds and somehow we're connected. Um, but we will make do and I hope this thing passes. Um, anyway, let's say a prayer. If any of you have any personal prayers, I'd like to ask that you hold them tonight or for a while until at least I learn what to do with this because it's so strange to me um... but please let us know because i know some of you carry um, heavy burdens and cares um, so many of us do a lot of the time i'd be sorry to miss that so um, send me an email please so we can include your prayers in the prayers that we make here and i'll try to um, protect um privacy um, where it's appropriate but let's start name of the father son holy spirit um how good it is to be back together god even though we're not in our bodies together um from this perspective um there's a strong sense that we're off in everybody else's space and so disconnected by space um um, let's get past that and pick up our work and and um, give ourselves to what we've been doing. Um, the whole point of our coming together is to try to find Christ where ordinarily, we don't find him at work in our homes, not in images or statues, um, but actively, actively in our lives with each other, um, with those we encounter in our work. Um, we're so often blind um, to what goes on in front of us. One of the great works that we've read the last couple of years was Boethius's Consolation, and in it, he said there was no bad fortune, and he helped make the argument that God is present everywhere, that, that um, so many of the things that we understand on a surface um, conceal so much more going on. Open our eyes, open our ears, help us to see you, to hear you, um, to be aware of your presence, particularly where it's hard, and help us not to take you for granted or the people around us that we love. Um, I ask for a special grace for all of those present um, who carry heavy burdens in their hearts, Let them know, let all of us know, myself, Suzanne, Michael, any of us, um, um, of your work. Help us always to trust in you, to know that you're at at work doing something, um, even if we can't see you. Um, And I ask a blessing on the work that we're picking up now together. Um, um, We are glad to be together again. Um, we offer these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's the here's the poem for tonight. Um, I feel a little bit awkward because ordinarily we're working off of a sheet together and you can see it and read it, but um, that's the next step. i got to get Mike to um, open up a function here that will... According to Mike, it, it sounds like it's pretty easy, but... Um, if we can do it I'm gonna make a function so that any of you can go online and get copies of study guides my notes or poems or you know whatever's been printed out so that you can go on and get whatever it is you're interested in it's you know it's your choice it'll be there if I can um, um, (laughs) so long as Mike is here to help but the poem I've chosen tonight is from Hopkins I thought about doing an old poem um, that f- was familiar to you, and you know one of my favorites like Gerard Manley Hopkins, The Windhover, or um, um, Schneckenberg's um, Supernatural Love, you know, The Little Girl. Um, but I think you probably heard them too many times, so I'm not going to tell them again. So this is a poem you haven't heard. Remember, Gerard Manley Hopkins was raised Anglican, came from a family absolutely dedicated to Anglican, he lived during the Tractarian movement in England when so many Protestants were um, had, had organized these tracts to make them public because they were all concerned that the church had become too lax, the Protestant church in England. That it had become too liberal and that it was losing its sense of mystery, the sacraments. Um, I, I think it's safe to say it's happening here in America that. I mean, we, we hear that fewer and fewer Catholics um, believe in the sacraments anymore. They don't take them seriously. Hopkins was born into that period in England. And it's interesting because a large number of men, if you remember, got together to produce these tracts. And one of the effects was unexpected. Lots of them converted because once they looked into their past, they realized that the problem wasn't um, in the liberal, and. Uh, it, the answer to the problem wasn't a liberal reform of the Protestant world. It was, re- it was to return to a Catholic world and lots of them converted. Um, um, John Henry Newman was the major convert and, um, and you know by now that Gerard Manley Hopkins was one, was one of them. And if you remember too, he, he joined the uh, Jesuit order, which made the scandal even worse because the English hate the Jesuits because the Jesuits had singled out England as one of the major places that needed to be converted. But he became a Jesuit priest. He had been writing poetry before that time, and it reached a point where he became so um, in love with Christ, so attached to him, that he reached a point where he's going to destroy all of his poetry. And I think one of the priests, probably a spiritual advisor, advised him not to, and kept it. It's it's one of the major legacies in the English lyric tradition. I mean, what he did in poetry is extraordinary. You know, if you remember the Wind Hover and um, Kingfisher's Catch Fire and you know, poems like that. So this this poem is called The God I Come From. The God I come from to thee go. All day long I like fountain flow from thy hand out, swayed about moat like in thy mighty glow. What I know of thee I bless and acknowledging thy stress on my being as seeing something of thy holiness. Once I turned from thee and hid bound on what thou hadst forbid, so the wind I would, I sinned, I repent of what I did. Bad I am, but yet thy child, Father, be thou reconciled, spare thou me, since I see with thy might but thou art mild. I have left life with me still and thy purpose to fulfill. Yea, a debt to pay thee yet. Help me, sir, and so I will. But thou bidst and just thou art me show mercy from my heart towards my brother, every other, man my mate, and counterpart. Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross. Molded he in maiden's womb lived and died from the tomb, rose in power, and is our judge that, cannot, that comes to deal our doom. Okay. It's called The God I Come From. If you want to look it up online. Okay. Um, well, a couple of things. One is, I think by now you know, it's going to take some time to, for me to um, uh, to become familiar with the how to do this because I'm absolutely lost, I don't know what to do. Um, I'm so grateful to Mike that he's here. Um, so I, I'm expecting that things will start slow, that it will take people time to get back and, and hopefully we'll all be back together in this thing. Um, but meanwhile, if you just be patient. Um, a couple of things to say. The Seton group is going to meet tomorrow night. You know it's a, we're in the Seton group we, we went back to Shakespeare and then back to the classics, the Iliad, the Odyssey. We we're, were in the middle of the Odyssey when things stopped. We are going to pick up there tomorrow and do that. And then the Aeneid and go on from the Aeneid to Boethius and move forward to Dante. So they're going to pick up the curriculum. Just so you know, every, everybody from either class is welcome to join the other class. If any of you want to go back to a work, join in. We're, gonna, we're doing the Odyssey. Um, I'm so, um, Fred and Francis said they couldn't make it. There are a number of people who said they couldn't make it tonight. Fred and Francis are away. Um, otherwise, they would have been here. They had an emergency. And they said for years they were sorry that they didn't get the Aeneid. I'm sorry. I, I've got to get it to them. Um, I'll be doing the Aeneid at Seton. So if any of you missed any of those works and feel an absence, because you know how often we go back, they're there. So feel free to come in. Um, if you didn't get it, I, I may have to send the whole invitation out to you guys because I think I treated them as separate files, the Francis and the Seton, and I may have to send it out to you again. So I'll do that, and if you're interested, do the same thing. Just check in and you'll be there, okay? Um, here are the projected... Re- yeah.
2: Is that... Um- Tell me the day and time again
0: of the Seton group. It's
2: 6.30. It's
0: Tuesday. Tomorrow? On Tuesdays? Yeah. Cool. It's good to see you. Thank you. God, you, we haven't seen you. To, do you all recognize who just joined us? I, I don't know that everybody. Can you introduce yourself and just take a second and say what you're doing? And, you know, I see you at the gym, but take a second because I'm not sure that everybody knows you or you know everybody. Take a second. Oh, okay?
2: right. And well, it's, it's been so long because I think the last time I was able to come to class, it was during Faulkner or something. And um, my name is Jolie, and I am uh, Mark Wood's wife. And. Uh oh. Lost her.
0: You're good. Go ahead. I
2: remember when I started coming to Dr. Club. You're good? Yeah. Um, uh, but. But at some point, uh, I found out about your class and came on Monday nights, and then when I started teaching little children at the rec, I had a bunch of classes on Monday nights. So um, so I, I couldn't join the group anymore, and I couldn't do it on the Friday mornings either, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah.
0: It, it's so good, and that smile of yours. God, it's so good to see you. so good to see you again. Um,
2: yeah, it's great to see y'all. I recognize some familiar faces.
0: Um, We talked about a reading list, some of you have have indicated you want to go on and our understanding for the last year and a half has has been that Dostoevsky would finish it, but um, some of you expressed some sadness at finishing, so here's my proposed reading list. Carl, you and Jeannie can get your notes out here. So here's my proposal. After Dostoevsky we go back again to beginnings, to Aeschylus's trilogy, it's called The Oresteia. And it's really about the founding of the West. And it's brutal, it's just, it's absolutely brutal. It's a, it's grotesque, it's, it, it's, it's one of the most extraordinary things from the ancient world. He, he's dealing with the world before the founding of Athens and everything that happens leads to the founding. But something special happens in Athens that sets it apart from all Eastern regimes. It's our beginning, um, but to get to it, young Oristia, the or I mean Orestes, the Agamemnon son, is gonna have to kill his mother and face demons. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a dark, dark play, it's a series. But it leads to the founding of Athens as the just city. So anybody who goes back to that is gonna have a better understanding of our beginnings, our origins, and the connections of the gods, Um, So the Oresteia, there are three plays, it's um, the Agamemnon, it's Agamemnon returning from the war, his son killing his mother and then Apollo and um, Athena taking um, Orestes to Athens to stand in trial for that murder. I can't tell you what happens because you know that I don't like giving things away but what happens in that play is gonna be extraordinary and it's gonna show However we understand Athens, it involves the gods. That anybody anybody going back to understands what Athens is will not understand it if they don't understand the gods have a hand in what's happening in this new democracy. So that we're going to do Sophocles Oedipus Rex. You all have heard about, it, maybe read it. And Oedipus at Colonus, which almost nobody has read, sadly, because in that play, after Oedipus blinds himself and goes on this long uh, penitential journey, penance. He comes to Athens um, on the advice of the gods and he has a hand in bringing something to Athens once again that only Athens has. And that book ends with um, Oedipus, remember he's the one who slept with his mother and killed his father. It's what Freud wanted to make so much of. He is blessed. He's assumed into the gods. Um, It's a a moment that prefigures Christ's ascension and Mary's. Um, So it's an extraordinary work. And it has to do once again with our beginnings. So Sophocles, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Colonus, where Oedipus is happy. Um, Imagine that. Killing his father, murdering his mother. He goes to his end, happy. Um, and then after that, I've, I've got some things up the air. There's nothing to do in the Middle Ages and I would be sorry for that. So part of me is thinking about doing, maybe doing St. Augustine's Confessions. I'm not sure, but, but maybe. But for sure, we will go on to Shakespeare's Pericles because you know I've been talking about that play for two years. It's, it's one of the plays that I call sacramental. He's the only man in all of literature to experience the music of the spheres. But except for Dante, in the home. Um From there, we've gone to Melville's Billy Budd, which is explicitly Christian. Billy Budd, he's a bud. Um, one of the interesting things about the end of that is he will be crucified. He'll be killed, executed. And at that moment, he he will cease being a bud, and flower. That his glory comes in that moment. It's it's. It's Melville's last work. I mean, we've done Melville's uh, *Moby Dick* together. This was his last work. It's a very short work, and um, it's so often overlooked. But it it is the most explicit treatment he gives of Christianity that in anything you read. Um, and then we'll go back to Eliot's quartets. I think we've done them already, but I think I'm going to do them again because you know, those of you who've done them, that they're not they're not easy to do. And um, we'll do. Um, Eliot's *Old Man in the Sea*.
1: Uh-huh. Or, oh, sorry,
0: sorry, Hemingway's. Sorry, Hemingway's *Old Man in the Sea*. Come here. I'm really
1: hot.
0: I don't um, Hemingway's *Old Man in the Sea*. Um, Hemingway and Faulkner were something of rivals, and Faulkner had no good words to say about Hemingway. But uh, Hemingway got the Nobel Prize after writing that book, and Faulkner's comment on *Old Man in the Sea* was. Hemingway finally discovered God. Now, I'm not going to say anything about that until we do it because there's nothing explicit about God in it. This old man goes to sea and tries to catch this marlin. He catches this huge marlin, and I'm not going to tell you what happened. But the greater part of the book has to do with what happens to that marlin hanging over the boat as the old bed goes in, and um, Hemingway's comment, or Faulkner's comment was, Hemingway finally discovered God. So it'll be an interesting work to do with you guys. Those of you, if you remember, we did some of the Hemingway short stories when we were doing short stories. Macomber and Hills Like White Elephant and a clean, well-lighted place in the bar room, if you remember. And maybe, maybe, if there's time, we'll see an interest. We might do Chesterton's. Um, Orthodoxy and Everlasting Man, something like that. They're not fiction, you know that they're, but um, Chesterton I think is probably the, the most important, um, what's the word, advocate of, what's the? Apologist. Apologist for Christianity in the 20th century. Um, I think I told you this, Chesterton's Orthodoxy is the book that brought me into the church. That's how important that book is, But. We may do Chesterton's Orthodoxy and Everlasting Man, and, and Everlasting Man is the book that brought C.S. Lewis into the church. That book led to C.S. Lewis's conversion. That's how important that book is. So we'll see. We'll bring that up later and see what you guys think about it, okay? So that's it um, for looking ahead. Let me take a second. I, well, what I want to do right now is do a brief, very, very brief review um, of what got us here, and then I want to give a brief review of, of Brothers, where we were, and then I'd like to go to that section of Brothers where you know that Dmitry almost goes nuts. Um, um, Alyosha goes through his crisis, and suddenly the book turns to Dmitry, and he's doing everything he can to get to, Gr- to Grushenka. Um, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Before I do, any any questions or thoughts about anything I just said or where we might go or whether we might survive this and get together again? I, you know, I don't know how this is going to go. But any questions or thoughts?
2: I'm a huge Lewis fan. So when you said Chesterton's work brought Lewis to Christ, I thought, I had, you know, I either didn't know that or had forgotten that, yeah. that got me very
0: pumped. You know that we did too. We Have Faces. It's a book that blew people, and most people who've read Lewis don't even know about it. And I, I think, and un, un, unqualified, it is the greatest thing he did. So it's online. I mean you can go to uh, the Lit Prophecy thing online and get our you know talks on it. But, um, oh and wait, I forgot. We may, go, we may do Lewis's um, Abolition of Man. With, um, with Chesterton, so there's a couple of books there to do. We don't, I don't know, we'll see. You guys may be worn out again before we get there. But God, I can't believe this, looking at all your smiles. Debbie, Nikki, I can't, and with your hair up, I don't think, I, you look like you're at home in a way that I've never seen you in class. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, the, if the camera panned down and we saw you in your pajamas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not in my pajamas. <laughs> but I haven't done my hair since March. So I'm it now. <laughs>
0: it's good to see you all. <laughs> Look at Carl.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I haven't gotten a haircut August and I got one got mine cut in June, so it feels really good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow.
0: Okay. Um okay what to do here. This is all discombobulating to me.
2: And if everyone can check if they're unmuted, I'm uh, sorry, that they are muted, um, that helps the sound quality. Yeah, that's true. Um, y'all may have talked about that before. but Why don't you now, all do I've that?
0: Been, Let's do that. Do,
2: actually,
0: everybody I was, put I was, it I on...
2: I have to myself.
0: Yeah, put it on unmute and if you okay. want to do something, you know, during, just click it on mute, and then you can do it, and and you can come on anytime you guys want.
2: And then you can mute yourself right back after you speak, so it helps.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks. Where'd Gita go?
1: Sorry, I think I'm having some internet issues. Um,
0: the technicians, the technicians on his way. <laughs> Uh, Sometimes
2: if you guys are getting bad internet, turn off your camera. Because sometimes it may be taking too much bandwidth in your home, if you're on Wi-Fi or something. So if you're getting uh, really bad audio or it's choppy, turn your camera off and that should help.
0: Okay. Okay, um, very, very, very quickly. Um... The the works that immediately led up to Dostoevsky we did were Scarlet Letter, Murder in the Cathedral, and um, you know those two, right? Scarlet Letter, yeah, Murder in the Cathedral. Remember in Murder, or in um, Scarlet Letter, Hawthorne was dealing with the founding and showing the tendency of the early Puritan community um, to look at the world in terms of black whites and be quick to judge. So they condemned Hester for her adultery. And um, we learn because of the ironies of the book, how self-righteous they are, um, how um, how they hold people off and and the ironies. Because what we discover as we move through the book is so many people find a sympathetic ear in Hester. Um, because she's been an outsider that they can't find in the community. So we're, we're made aware of this, this Christian spirit and um, how hypocritical it is, how it closes them off from um, being with others, loving others. Because Hester is outside of that, um, she has to bear it all. The greater irony is that um, the father of the child that she's gonna bear is the minister of the community. So everybody thinks they see everything properly. And like so many of the works that we've read, what we learn is they don't see it all. They th- it's like so many people who think because they're educated, they're smarter and can see things other people don't. They live in that kind of a world where they think because of their faith, they see things others don't. And what we see is their blindness their minister is the father. If they learned that, they would be horrified. Um, and you know that the whole action of the story moves towards that end where finally Dimsdale has to make that confession and we talked about it. Okay. Wow. We talked about um, the importance of that confession because the, because the early Puritans didn't believe in the sacraments. They didn't make a place for a confession. And what we saw was people who are bearing sins who have no way of dealing with them. They just live in a world thinking they're self-righteous. They don't need to confess. Dimsdale does because he's living a hypocritical life. And we talked about it at the end, because one of the ironies about that ending is early in the, in the novel we saw that he actually made a confession to the congregation. But the narrator makes us aware that it was the most hypocritical moment in his life Because even though he presented himself as confessing inwardly, he wasn't. So it raises this whole question about confession and the importance in our lives and its objective character. Because sometimes people think they make a confession when in truth they don't. Um, But what we saw was a founding of people whose hypocrisies were being exposed to us. And at the end, this this refounding. Um, Dim, um, Hawthorne's showing us a refounding that that everything that Dimsdale does, refounds that community. It brings a spirit to the community that the people, the original founders didn't have. Murder in the Cathedral had a, it was a very different book. It was dealing with a martyrdom as you all know, but one of the similarities is at the, is at the end of that, here's where I was going. In, in Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter, remember the book opens with the narrator saying, um, that he was looking at the, at the black rose of the prison house that had grown up in this new soil. So he likened the prison house to a rose. And then when the narrative started, he said, I'm going to pick a rose from this bush and give it to the reader to carry forward. So what he does is say, what's taking place now is this communion between the reader and that world. Right, We've been talking about as of as being like communion. Do we participate in a world? We take it into ourselves. It becomes one of ours. It, it indwells. We become one with it. So we can experience that refounding. We can look at our own hypocrisies. Um, our lives are burdened. We have to struggle with some things. It's a way of taking Christ into us with enlarged eyes, hopefully better hearts, to do whatever it is the poet has shown us. Same thing goes on in Eliot. We experience a martyrdom with all the struggles that um, Beckett went through. Was he gonna do it for his own pride? Was he gonna do it because God asked him? And at the very end, you remember that I think it was the second murderer who came forward to the stage and said, I'm doing this all for your own good because it's what you wanted. So he's directly implicating us. He's saying, whether we want to admit it or not, like the common people in the play, we're implicated in that martyrdom. So in both of those books, the, the writer is taking us into that world to make it one with our own. And they're, they're dealing explicitly with um, religious themes and hypocrisies of, of people who think they understand things when they really don't. And in both of them, we're called to a greater love, a greater love in what we do. Dostoevsky's doing the same thing. We, we haven't talked a lot about the narrator, but a little bit we have. You know that we don't know who this man is, but he's a part of the town and he's doing everything he can to get this story to us. Um, so that it becomes one with us. So this is just a laying out again, what you know has been a principle for the whole course. Jacques Miratan put it better than anybody I've ever known before. He said, in poetry, a form of communion is taking place. There's a communion between the secret self of the poet and the secret self of things, things outside. So that in poetry, we learn to become one with others. And you know from our work, particularly on Dante, how important that is because we, as Catholics, we believe in the Trinity. And if we're made in God's image and the, Um, Christ's origins are the second person, he was the second person, that it's inherent in our nature, made in his image to indwell. We were meant to love and be loved, to take each other in. And if we know anything about our faith, (laughs) you know, that may may sound really sweet and romantic and nice when you hear it in words, but if you think about it in reality, it's not at all because to indwell with another means taking in all their stuff, bearing a cross, having to do with all the things we don't like about each other, and still learning to love. So on that happy note, I'm going to go into, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. Um, So every one of these books um, has something going on that makes it clear that it's important for us to take these works in, make them one with ourselves, or we're wasting this literature, we're wasting a gift being given to us. And at the heart of it is this notion of communion, that we take something in, it becomes part of our own lives. And that means we have a burden to carry. We have to try to live that in everything that we do with each other. So the the notion of an indwelling is, uh, you know, it might sound romantic and nice, but if you think about it, to love another person means risking going into that person's inner life and sharing that person's awful things. And reciprocally, so every one of these works has taken into taken us into these communities in which awful things are going on, awful things are going on, and yet every one of the writers brings us to a point of affirming our faith, strengthening our hope, help hopefully helping us to love each other better because of what we've learned there. Okay, so. Um, that's just a brief background on the works that led us here and now we're coming to brothers and I want to just try to briefly um, you know bring us up to date because it's been a long time since we've looked at it together um, any any questions on that before we go before we go on Tracy good to see you there God, I still don't believe this is real like it's real time um, any questions Michael? Doc? Oh. Somebody? Is somebody speaking?
2: That's
0: No? Okay. Okay. Um okay. Um very, very, very briefly. Um I want to try to get us up to the point where we left off when this corona thing hit. Um, You remember that Brothers opened with a brief biography on the family and then immediately we went to the monastery where um, Dmitry and Alyosha and Zosimov and almost most of the main characters except the major female characters met. And it's there that they discuss their differences on church state matters. And if you remember, the issue was, and it's just because it, I think it's so current in what's going on in America today. Remember, their concern was this division, the separation between church and state. And the argument being made then was that um, it would be impossible to, to um, resolve crimes until church and state were completely resolved. And the argument was um, if the church was separated from the state and the state punished a criminal, but sending that criminal to jail was no insurance that he would amend his ways, he would correct himself. Because we know that lots of criminals go to jail and say, damn it, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna go out and do it again. You know, they have no regrets. So there's no conversion of heart. The other side of that argument is if the state gets absorbed into the church, and the church has the power to excommunicate. Excom- uh, jeannie okay. can you mute your can you mute your side okay. i'm sorry
2: i trying to figure out where it went and oh. i can't find
0: it oh. we can do it can
2: you move the cursor it should show up again
0: the argument was that if the church absorbs the state um, that um, it will be in a position to do something the state can't because the, um, um, the state can use its powers of excommunication to force somebody to, or the church um, to repent. So that there's a possibility of a conversion because the cost of it would be damnation outside the... That was the fundamental, it, it wasn't resolved, but the importance of it for the story is you can't miss it. We know that, that Russia's being influenced by all these Western Enlightenment ideas and it's going to take Russia to communism. So it's going to move towards a socialistic state. state's going to have all power You know, shortly after Dostoevsky dies. So we move from the monastery. Um, Dmitry meets with Alyosha shortly after that. And both of them acknowledge, Dmitri tells Alyosha what happened with uh, Katrina, how humiliated he was by what she did and how humiliated she was by his response. And when the two meet, both of them say, I am a Karamazov. And it's something that gets repeated in the book that every one of the Karamazov sons says, I'm a Karamazov. So no matter how much we dislike Fyodor, it's crucial to see something of him passes on to Ivan Dmitry Alyosha, certainly Smerchikov, okay? Um, We meet the two women and we learn that they're rivals. And it's interesting there the relationship between them sort of takes a back seat to what happens afterwards. But we, we get a clear picture of how vicious they can be as women. They, are, they seem very gracious when they first meet and immediately when they present themselves to each other and Katuna says how fond she is of Dmitri because she thinks Grushenka is no longer a rival for Dmitri and Grushenka says she is, immediately the women turn on each other with absolute hate, just absolute hate. And we're aware how spiteful they are and how violent that spite can be. And They're, they're very bitter towards each other and it, you know, we know, if you remember, if you go back to the monastery when Zossima was doing the, uh, when he was meeting with the women, um, one of the women confessed that she had killed her husband. So this whole question of murder is going to be absolutely central to the brothers because the central question, central question that that the play deals with, everything that leads up to the turn and everything that follows from it is who killed Theodore Kermazov, who killed him? And I just wanna raise this question right now. You know that all the, I don't know if all of you have finished it, you know that all the evidence points to Dimitri and that the whole last half of the book deals with interrogations, investigations. Um, Ivan's implication in the movie, the devil, the demon is actually implicated in it, Smirjikov. The question that I wanna put now looking forward because we're gonna be moving towards the end of the book is, who's responsible for Fyodor's death? Who killed him? Not, I mean, or let me put it differently. Was anybody else implicated in that besides the murder himself? How many people are actually involved? What is this saying about the killing of the father? Which is the central event of the book. The killing of the father and this passing away of an old life and the coming into being of this new life, because that's what the book is about. Russia is in turmoil. It's a trial of faith. It's turning from an old way. Fyodor Dostoevsky, or Karamazov, in one sense represents that old age. He's killed. And every one of his sons, every single one of his sons faces a crisis. So this large national crisis of these Western ideas coming into Russia and unsettling it, um, we get through the eyes of each one of Fyodor's sons. Alyosha has to face a crisis, Dmitry has to face a crisis, Ivan has to face a crisis. And every one of the crisis for each of them is radically different. And yet everyone everyone has a crisis. And Smerdyakov is, I mean, we, he, we've got to sort of bracket him. We for, tend to forget that he's one of the sons, but he is. And we're going to have to put raise that same question with him. Okay? So some of the those are some of the questions looking forward. Um, um, you remember that Alyosha returns to the to the monastery and we get a view of the monastic life because there are lots of monks. Zosima is looked at, understood by most people as a holy man. Um, but lots of the monks present living in the monastery hate him because he, he displays, he makes real this quality of holiness and they're envious and resentful and hate them. You remember that um, Farapont um, thinks Zosima is um, a blasphemer, that he's a heretic, that he's not holy at all. And when Alyosha goes back to the uh, monastery, you remember that Zosima dies and his body gives off a stench and Fairpont is convinced that that's evidence of Zosima's evil character. Um, so it's during that period that things begin to get dark. We're given an image of um, Fairpont <laughs> sweeping the monastery, remember, of demons, and we're we're, we're giving these descriptions of these demons hiding everywhere behind doors and cracks, um, on bellies. Um, so. From the outside, the the monastery looks like a very peaceful, holy place. But once we go inside, we see that it's not that way at all. So there's nothing in this book that is not in a state of spiritual crisis. Dostoevsky is doing everything he can to help us get past appearances, the way things seem to be on the outside, that everything's nice and sweet, when in fact inside it's not. That there are these spiritual battles this kind of spiritual warfare going on. And everybody is having to carry it in one form or another. So um, that took us up to um, the Grand Inquisitor. You remember it was one of the most important sections in the book. It's in that poem that Yvonne wrote that Yvonne expresses one of the major concerns of the novel that one of the influences being introduced into Russia from the enlightenment world, the secular progressive liberal world is that there is no God, there is no God, um, that the world is in our hands, there is no evil. And um, Ivan is in some ways a reflection of that because he, 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 he makes it clear in the section on him that he will not believe in God so long as one innocent person dies. And he has that long section where he describes, remember all those babes, the innocent kids that the Turks putting them on bayonets and um, shooting them. And um, they're just horrific scenes. And he gives the, the story of the grand inquisitor in which Christ comes back to visit um, Europe. It's in Spain during the inquisition. And he's met by the, the, um, by the Pope, I think it's or an archbishop, who questions him and it's in that section that Ivan recalls Christ's three temptations. You know, man doesn't eat by bread. Um, um, he can't tempt God. Remember when the devil said, if you're God, throw yourself off. And the other one was um, um, man lives too much for authority. So what he's revealing is that there is this temptation on the part of us, the three great temptations, according to the scriptural passage, the three greatest temptations for us as humans is that we will do anything, not believe in God so long as we can eat. So long as we have food and security, we don't need God. When Christ's answer is man doesn't eat by bread alone. So as much as we think we can have our comfortable lives Eat, drink, be merry, security homes, we'll be okay. Christ is saying no. And we're, we're given to turning authority over to other people rather than risk ourselves, the choices that we have to make, because they're very often painful. And remember the last one was, if you're, if you're God, throw yourself off. There's this tendency in us to gamble with God, to make choices that presume he's going to get us out of them. And Christ was explicit in warning us off against those things. So what he's pointing to, I mean, if you think about the three temptations as a prelude to the whole gospel, it's like a way in. It's saying these are the three things we have to pay most attention to. So Ivan does his poem on that, and we come out of it aware that he is an extremely bright man, brilliant in lots of ways, and extremely sensitive. And you remember one of the last questions he put to Aloysius, if you could kill one innocent man to save all the other millions of innocent people in the world, because remember, his great argument is so long as one innocent person dies, so long as somebody suffers innocently, he can't believe in God. It's the Job story. How can God allow this stuff? So he incriminates God. If he were a good God, he couldn't allow this stuff. And his last pressing question to Alyosha was, if you could... If you could take one innocent human being and kill that human being, knowing that you would save everybody else in the world, would you do it? you remember his answer? I'm trusting. Yep. Tracy, do you remember? <laughs> Alyosha, I mean, you, you, can, you know Alyosha. There's, he said, no, there's no way I would. Um, remember, Alyosha is trusting in Christ that he believed that Christ's suffering meant something for the rest of us. And that's a faith Ivan doesn't have. Um, so he can't turn to Christ. So that was, I think the, that was the point at which we were introduced to Zosimov when he went through his story. And you remember, he was so taken by his brother and then his brother died early but his brother died saying to him, because remember his brother was agnostic, he didn't believe, and at the end of his life he had a conversion. He said to Zosimo, go through your life being grateful for everything, love everything, love nature, love everything in nature. Um, Zossima turned bad after that, and then he had that conversion, remember when he gradually changed and he entered the military and he had that duel with that soldier um, because he loved that woman and he discovered the woman loved this soldier and he proposed a duel and they were going and to... And the night before that duel, he had a conversion moment and he knew he couldn't shoot the guy. And they went out the next morning and he let the other guy shoot first so he couldn't be accused of being a coward and then let the guy... Um, and then threw his gun away. And his life was changed. And, and, and then he embarked on this... Quest to become a holy man, and turns out to be the Zosiman that is um, Alyosha's great spiritual teacher. So that's where we were when, um, when we stopped. And we were just going to start the section when Dimitri takes off. So um, we've encountered two, so if you, I don't have a blackboard. If you picture an arc, yeah, going from right to left, if you picture an arc going from right to left, I'm going to have to get a board in here, but if you picture it, in the middle of that arc is the large area devoted to crises. Zossima went through his crises with that soldier. He gave up his life, and I hope that's clear. He let that guy shoot first. Um, so he risked his life because he didn't, want to, he didn't want to kill anybody anymore, and he wanted love. And he knew the cost of that would be giving up his life. He faced his crisis. Alyosha, remember when he returns to the monastery, um, he loses his faith in Zosima because the body is full of stench. And it's when he returns that he hears Pacey reading from the gospel, the story of the Cana wedding. And if you remember in that moment, the walls are described as fading. God, it's an amazing moment. And Alyosha is with Christ and the disciples and Zosima those of you who remember the Iliad, remember that Aeneas had to go into the underworld to get his calling from his father, who is a ghost, a shade. He has to go there. Alyosha goes back to Cana, Zosimov approaches him and he says, now you must leave the monastery, go out into the world and do your work. He gets his calling. And it's during that moment, if you remember, <laughs> this is strange, Zosimov is dead. Alyosha had been at Grushenka's house, remember? And she told the story of the onion, that she, this, she used that, she told the story of a woman who was dying, who was given this onion and, and the angel would pull her out. And when somebody else wanted to be pulled out with her, she kicked her off. And Zosima's telling um, Alyosha, he, he, he alludes to the onion. And there's no way that Alyosha could, or I mean, Zosima could have known about that because that took place between in a private exchange with Alyosha and his friend in Grushenka when she tells that story. And yet that gets that gets in to the pacey reading of the scripture. Was that clear? I'm not sure if that was confusing. Is that clear? Somebody shake their, okay. Remember Alyosha comes back. He's lost faith in Zosima. He kneels down, he's exhausted. His faith has tried it, he's lost it. Um, he doesn't believe in, um, and and all the priests are, except Pacey, are condemning Zosima. The stench is proof that he's a heretic. Zosim, or I mean, Alyosha is exhausted. He kneels down and starts to fall asleep, and suddenly he starts having this dream. And intermixed with this dream are Pacey's words because he he's praying over Zosima's body, and he's reading from the Cana miracle. So he's reading from scripture. It enters. Alyosha's imagination while he's f- slipping into sleep and he suddenly has this vision. The walls start fading. He's back at Cana. Christ is there, the disciples. Zosima approaches him and he gives him his calling. Three days later, Alyosha leaves the monastery. Right after he has that vision, he rushes outside and he does what Zosima did. He rushes, He throws himself on the ground and kisses the ground His faith is back. He will leave the monastery and go into the world. Is it clear now? Somebody shake their head no or yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, So Zosimov had his crisis. Alyosha had his. And both of them were crises of faith. So we're watching this national trial of faith take place. And each character is experiencing it in their own ways. Okay? They're going through an awful pain. It's a horrible pain. It was for Zosimov. It is for Alyosha. And now we're going to turn to Dmitri. Okay? So let me stop. Any questions before we turn to the Dmitri section? So that's just trying to pick us up to bring us back to where we are. And I'm not gonna rush through anything, I'm not gonna hurry, I'm gonna take time. We'll carry over next time, whatever. I mean, whatever it takes, I don't wanna I don't wanna rush through this. So any questions. Nikki, where are you going? You can't you can't is this a bath Nikki, you can't leave. What is this, a bathroom call? (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's funny. There are no questions, I don't believe this. Jeannie, where are you? We can unmute. Get the mute? We tell them to unmute. Unmute it. You guys, if you have a question, just unmute it. No questions? That's
2: awesome. No. No questions yet.
0: <laughs> Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: For me, it's it's bringing me back into it because I read it all but we've had such a time apart that what you're talking about uh, is putting my mind back into that and so I'm just soaking up what you're saying and probably, if I have any questions it will be next time because I'll be in it again
0: yeah That's why I wanted to do this, Marcy. I need to get everybody back, um, because I know...
1: It's wonderful. And you're wonderful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are not going to bribe me into using that cane, no matter how hard you try, Marcy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I can't tell you what a joy it is to see you all. God. Okay. Okay.
2: Sorry. 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 It's
0: just wonderful to hear you speak. Sorry, Dad.
1: You <coughs> yes, it is. Sorry. Yes,
0: it is. My wife is asking me if I took my afternoon pills. <laughs> it's so funny. Yes. <laughs> you have Marcy's support on that. I think I did just before the class. Bless your soul. Okay. Okay. Let's let's go. If you can all pull out your books, we're going back to Dossiasky. Um, God, I can't tell you what a joy it is to be back here with you guys. Um, I want to I wanna, um, go back. Okay. One, I remember closing with this, and I just want to pick this up because I, I want to give this the emphasis that I believe it deserves. Up to this time, we've seen two men go through painful crises. Zosimov, Dossimov, Alyosha. What's ahead of us now is gonna be really dark. Um, If you've done your reading, you know, Dmitri is is going to um, rush after Grushenka to try to catch up with her and he's gonna do it with the mind of throwing this elaborate party and then killing himself. So I'm giving away the crisis, but it's a way of trying to prepare for a larger picture. When he follows her, um, he's doing it with the idea of killing, killing himself. He's gonna take his life. So in terms of the grotesque, it's, it's, it's not gonna approach what you know um, Zossima or Alyosha faced. Um, um, Zosimov was on a duel field with another soldier and Alyosha you know, had to deal with the stench of Zosima's body. Dmitri's gonna plan to take his life. That's only the beginning of things because what we're gonna face immediately afterwards when he's accused of killing his father is we're gonna see him meet with Smerdyakov um, and the devil. So that at this point, a demon, we're going to meet, <laughs> We're going, Doc, would you go away if you're going to do this? We're going to enter a demonic world. So however painful or expressive of anguish or burdens, you know, any of the characters, any, anything we've experienced with them, it's going to be nothing next to what we're about to experience. Because once we get to Ivan and his meetings with the demon and Smerdyakov, we're going to enter a world of... Figures who are so intellectually keen, because remember one one of the one of the concerns here is what's happening to Mother Russia is all these Enlightenment intellectual ideas, people who pride themselves on their minds, who think because they're educated they're better than other people. All these intellectual ideas are permeating Russia; it's causing all this havoc. And and the, as we move from Dmitri's crisis to Ivan's, we're dealing with Ivan, who's clearly the brightest mind in the you know, of all the characters, he's going to deal with Smerdyakov, and he's going to see Smerdyakov outsees him. And then he's going to meet with a demon who who makes Ivan look like a kid. So we're we're about to enter intellectual depths dealing with what's sinister and demonic. So if you thought everything up to this point was painful or anguished or hard or approaching tragic, just buckle up. Because what we're approaching, n- nobody in- that I know of in the modern world has come close to doing. So remember when I told you to draw that arc and then put Zasima's crisis and Alyosha's, we're going to head to Dmitri, and then to Eva. So the, the, the novel, it, it's like it's getting more and more off surfaces in which people see each other according to surfaces and we're going to go into depths that we haven't gotten close to since we read Dante's The Inferno. Okay, except it's gonna be, it's not gonna be final ends the way it was for Donnie, it's gonna be in our world now. If anybody wants to leave the chat room right now, you're, feel free to leave. Okay? Okay, turn to three, you go to the book um, 320. I'm just going to try to pick up where we left off, and so for whatever time we have remaining, for or at least a good part of the time we have remaining. God, this light is bad. Um, for a good. Wait, end up. For, for a part of the time, I got, I got it. For a part, what I'd like to do is just walk us through the text, the way I try to do in our meetings, just to get you guys in the text because you know how much I hate abstract ideas. I'd want to get everybody back into the text. So I'm gonna just read passages for a bit and periodically I'll step back and just ask some questions because I'd like to hear what your minds are, okay? Um, So, towards the end of Zosima's section in which we, we are given his biography and we learn about his conversion He's preaching to his fellow people and and we've got to understand that Alyosha's in mind because we know how important Alyosha was for Zosima because Zosima saw Alyosha's carrying on his calling to bring holiness out to the world. That's why he said to him in that vision, um, leave the monastery, go out in the world, take Christ to the world. That was his calling. On page 320... This is Zosima now speaking, remember, aware of other months and trying to help them learn. Remember especially that you cannot be the judge of anyone, for there can be no judge of a criminal on earth until the judge knows that he too is a criminal, exactly the same as the one who stands before him, and that he's perhaps most guilty of all for the crime of the one standing before him. So is doing something that nobody else is doing. He's saying, you can't judge another person unless you're really clear about your own sins and that you're implicated in the sin of the person you're accusing. Because remember, this is, this is Hawthorne's world. Because if you don't, you're going to be back in Hawthorne's world with all these people who think they're saved and treating everybody else as if they're not. Yeah? So he's saying you'll never be able to learn to judge other people unless you're fully aware of your own sins. When when he understands this, then he will be able to be a judge. This is on 321 at the top. However mad that may seem, it's true. For I myself were righteous. Perhaps there would have been no criminal standing before me now. If you're able to take upon yourself the crime of the criminal who stands before you and whom you are judging in your heart, do so at once. Suffer him. Go down a few lines. It means that his time has not yet come. If nobody can do this but it will come in due course. And if it does not come, no matter if not be, then another will know and suffer and judge and accuse himself and the truth will be made full. Believe it, believe it without a doubt. For this, for in this lies all hope and all the faith of the saints. Unless a person can carry the sins of the person he's judging, he'll never be able to judge him well. And you know that earlier on in the, in the Zossman's section said, he said, I am the worst of the worst. Until until any of us, until we can all come to that point of saying, I'm the worst of the worst, we will never be able to judge others. If you yourself have sinned and are sorrowful, even unto death for your sins or for your sudden sin, rejoice for the other, rejoice for the righteous one, rejoice that though you have sinned, he still is righteous and has not not sinned. Go down, visit the bottom of 321, Take these torments upon yourself and suffer them, and your heart will be eased, and you will understand that you too are guilty, for you might have shown to the wicked even like the only sinless one, but you did not. If you had shown, your light would have lighted the way for others, and the one who did wickedness would perhaps not have done so in your light. Remember Christ's words and remember what Christ took on himself on the cross. He took on all our sins. Ask us to do the same. Love enemies. Forgive seven times 70. I mean, so in some sense, Zossum is just um, repeating. Love to throw yourself down. This is 322. Love to throw yourself down in the earth and kiss it. Kiss the earth and love it tirelessly, insatiably. Love all men. Love all things. Seek this rapture and ecstasy. Water the earth with the tears of your joy and love those tears. Do not be ashamed of this ecstasy. Treasure it for it's a gift from God, a great gift. What does Alyosha do um, that night after the Cana miracle? He rushes outside, throws himself down on the ground and kisses it. Three days later, it has gone. So that takes us to the Dimitri, the Dimitri section. Hey, can you turn to three sixty-seven? Now you know that um, after the Alyosha crisis, we turn to Dmitri, and he learns that Grushenka has left, and he's crushed. And f- for the next several chapters, the narrator describes Dmitri hysterically. Going from person to person to try to um, loan, f- borrow money, so that he'll have enough money to apparently to pay off Katrina um, because he still owes her, and throw this big bash for Grushenka. It's, it's they don't know it, but it's in his in his mind it's a farewell gesture because he believes at that time that she's run off with a soldier that he's going to lose her and he wants to have one. Last moment um, before he takes his life. On page 367, he goes to the house of um, um, Samsonov. You remember, Samsonov was um, a man who courted Grushenka, who wanted to see himself as um, as um, her lover, and when she rejects him. He, he changes his position and takes on the role of a guardian for her, financially, tries to look out for her. Um, Dmitri goes to him hoping that he um, will lend him the money. On three set, 367, though, he says this, um, Mitya decided, and therefore he decided to turn the whole world upside down if need be, but be sure to return the 3,000 to Katrina, Ivanovna, at all costs and before all else. The final working out of this decision took place in him, so to speak, in the last hour of his life. That is starting from the last meeting with Alyosha two days before. Go down a few lines. Right then that night, after parting with his brother, he had felt in his frenzy that it would be better even to kill and rob someone, but repay his debt to Katja. Better to stand as a murderer and a thief before that robbed and murdered man and before everyone else and go to Siberia than that Katya should have the right to say, I betrayed her and then stole money from her. So he'd rather live with the dishonor of being a murderer than he would of failing to repay her. Anybody want to make a comment on that? want to? Mike, go. I'm really <laughs> glad. Come on, what's in there? What's going on? Sorry, we don't have a cam on mic right here. Can you all you all can hear me, right? Come on, I want to hear this. What's...
1: <laughs> that seems you a
0: little disorder. Huh? Yeah. yeah. What do you make of it?
1: His mind is disordered at the moment. <laughs>
0: Two the people here are saying "Dimitri's mind is a little bit disordered at this point, which it which it is. Just a couple but of...
2: Remind, remind me of the people crucified to Christ.
0: Say that again. It couldn't hear it.
1: Crucified Christ. Say it. Is, it? No. is that Tracy?
0: No. Say it again. Do you guys hear me? Or can you hear me, you guys?
2: Yeah, we can hear you. Say it again. We're speaking at the same time, but it reminds me of the two criminals crucified next to Christ.
0: Why is that? Um, Go ahead.
2: If, I guess because they, um, regardless of what their sins were, there were, um, it was more important to, uh, to one of the criminals to reconcile himself to Christ, so he would be in paradise, and so that was more important than. It. Uh, whatever his sin was or his crime was. Yeah. I just saw it as the value of human life. Who said that? The priorities
1: are human life is not as
2: important as maybe paying a debt or looking good. Looking good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I my own or sense base or
1: however you want to put right, it. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Dmitri a man of honor. He reminds me very much of Achilles. Deeply, deeply a man of honor. When he was humiliated by Katrina and he wanted to humiliate her back, there was a love interest between the two of them and it and it it made for a deep injury involving the two. Of them. In fact, that injury is going to carry forward through the through the novel. It's going to get carried forward to the trial scene that takes place towards the end because she'll become a witness and her testimony is gonna have a real influence on the outcome of that. But he's humiliated by a woman that he's attracted to and she's humiliated by them. There's a, a love tie going on and a sense of honor, I think, that leaves him with a sense that he would rather, you would certainly, I mean, the way Mark put it, he he values life less than he does keeping his honor with this woman because of the difficulty he has. So no, no question that there's a disorientation, in, you know, that um, because for the next several chapters, we're gonna see Dimitri completely disordered. I mean, he's, there's almost nothing he does that he doesn't do in hysteria. But it's interesting that he would say this because I think he means it, his sense of honor um, is far greater than his sense of life. He's going to take his life um, eventually. You know that what happens is that he goes to Sosimov who um, refuses to give him the loan and sends him to this man. And he goes to this man who's drunk, who can't help him. And he, um, he returns to see Mrs. Um, um, Koklakov, Kuklov, Kuklov, I think it's called Kokhlikov, on page 387. Turn, turn there for a second, can you? If you remember, it's a long chapter, and he, he, she's wealthy, so he expects that she'd be willing to loan him the money, fully expecting. She's encouraged him in that belief. But when he asks for the money, she keeps telling him, what you should do is invest in mines, go to work in the mines. Give up women, give up property, give up everything, because one day you will be... Wealthy. On 387, a few lines di- down, she says, Part with everything, Dmitri. Madame Koklakov Kok- 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 K- Kok- Kok- um, interrupted him in the most determined tone. Everything, women especially, your goal is the mind's, and there's no need to take women there. Later, when you return in wealth and glory, you will find companions for your heart in the highest society. She'll be a modern girl, educated, without prejudices. By then, the women's question, which is just beginning now, will have ripened, and a new woman will appear. Um, He says, it's not it, it's not it, but she keeps persisting. Go to the mines, because one day um, you'll become wealthy and make your fortune. I don't want to dwell on any of those. Um, When she refuses to help him, he goes to his father's house, (coughs) wondering if Grushenko will be there. And he discovers that he's not. And if you remember the story, you know that Grigory wakes up in the middle of the night um, and happens to go outside and sees the shadow fleeing. It's Dimitri. And he rushes after him and is assuming parasite and says something. Dimitri, when he left the woman's house, took that pestle, hits Grigory on the head, sends him to the ground with blood all over him, and then he runs off. He goes back. To Grushenka's house, and um, and then from there sets off to find Grushenka. Okay, I just want to take a second here. Dmitri goes to um, Samsonov's house. He goes to Mrs. Um, Kuklava Kuklakov's house, Um, hysterically asking for money. Um, he will return to his friend's house, the official whom he um, left his guns with and retrieve them. And then it will go on. Dostoevsky takes a lot of time dealing with these two people when Dmitry wants to get to Grushenka. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? F- because from here he's going to go to the tavern, he's going to meet Dmitry, I mean Grushenka, and then suddenly his life is going to turn. But before we get there, why does Dostoevsky spend so much time with these two figures who seem relatively meaningless to try to get this $3,000 so he can repay Katrina? Any thoughts? Is it showing his desperation?
1: Yes. Or his willingness to, I guess, look at all, you know, Look at all ends in order to get the money. So it's setting up. To me, it sets up a little more desperation and hysteria
2: later on in the book. Right, he's tried everything.
1: So. So.
0: Yeah.
2: Now these are. I mean, he could have just written. He tried everything and then cut out these two chapters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Dusty hasn't done do that. I think. I think. I, I know. Yeah. I think it's. I think you're right on, Mark. And I would just add to it that. I think his desperation, and it has two functions that I can see. And both of them go to this notion of love and Dimitri's honor and how much it's at stake in the love that he feels for this woman. We're watching a man do everything in his, to pay off a, a debt to this woman while he's going to see the woman he thinks he loves and is going to take his life. So we're watching a man for whom love is everything, um, and that's driven him to a point of absolute desperation. He's going to—he's going to take his life eventually. So if we hold that up against the two people, it's interesting because what we see in um, Sam, Samsonov Samsonov, is here's a man who cares nothing about love, who only uses women to get ahead. They're objects. Um, he would have used Grushenka. He would have kept her as a kept woman and financially taken care of her. He has no interest in love, he's a selfish man. When we go from him to the woman, she's as, se- she's as selfish. She cares for nothing except high society. She's not gonna help him. She, she has no capacity to feel empathy for what's going on with Dmitri any more than Samsonov does. Neither one of them is capable of empathy. They're too preoccupied in their own life. While this man is um, desperate, I think as Mark said, What's motivating, even if it turns his world upside down, is this passionate love. And when you set him next to these other people, it's, it, I think it's just another way of Dostoevsky showing, it, giving us a, a critique of the social world and the way in which people are so preoccupied by things that they can't love. Another way of putting this is, I think, it would be better to love and love wrongly than not to love at all. These people are selfish and self-centered and self-serving and um, Dostoevsky, like Alyosha and Zosima, each one of them is bringing into focus a disorder in this world through these loves. And right now we're watching, it's a love very different from Zosima's, it's a love very different from Alyosha's. And in a few moments, it's gonna take a turn, Um, but it's the defining, It's the defining mode of his life. Um, um, Go to 410, because things are about to change. On page 410, I think that's... I really would like to underscore that. Um... You know, it's, it's better to love badly I mean, or, or to love and even with whatever disorders it carries than not to love. Um, we've watched all the characters, so many of the major characters struggle with love, Katrina Grushenka. Remember Lisa, the little girl that, um, that was betrothed to um, Alyosha, she declared her love for him, he declared her love for her, she broke it off, she couldn't get past her pride. Um, too frightened to give herself. And remember in that last scene where they break off, Dmitri, or uh, Alyosha leaves, she goes to the door and slams her door on the finger. Remember? Um, I mean, she just, she has to find some way of expressing the pain she feels because she can't express it any other way. So Dostoevsky's been exploring not only these disorders, but um, their effect on the way people love, particularly between the sexes, between men and women. In chapter six, um, God. <laughs> I feel like we're back in the classroom and the eight o'clock bell is just red and I'm aware that we're supposed to leave the classroom in 15 minutes because we don't, <laughs> we're going to be holding up, closing up the building. Um... um On 410, in the middle of 410, um, Andre, the driver, is taking Dmitri to the tavern where he expects to find Grushenka, and her lover. And in the middle of page 410, um, yet it was impossible to square accounts with the past with all that stood behind him and tormented him. He felt it to the point of suffering and the thought of it pierced his soul with despair. There was a moment on his way when he suddenly wanted to stop and Dre jump out of the cart, take his loaded pistol and finish everything without waiting for dawn. But this moment flew by like a spark amid the Troika and the Troika went flying on devouring space. And the closer he came to his goal, the more powerful the thought of her again, of her alone, took his breath away and drove all the other terrible phantoms from his heart. Oh, he wanted so much to look at her, if only briefly, if only from afar. She's with him now, so I'll only look at how she is with him with her former sweetheart. That's all I want and never before had such a love for this woman, so fatal for his destiny. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to, I'm thinking of what I can appeal to, to most men in here, I'm not sure. But if any of you can remember high school when you your knees shook or you wanted to ask a girl out, and you couldn't think of anything else, and it you know it sort of overwhelmed you and time and space changed, um, I I don't know that women, Nikki you have to tell me or Debbie you know if women, but I know I mean speaking for myself and for what I know from movies and men that these moments sometimes can be overwhelming because your your love for that person is it, it almost Shrinks everything else. I mean, it becomes the. For Dmitry, this is that moment. Grushenka is somebody he's loved. He knows he's going to lose her. Um, and at this point, this is a, a, a minor crisis leading up to them, mainly. He imagines at this point jumping out of the troika, taking the gun, and ending it, but he won't. He, he's, he still longs for her that much to get past this moment. Um, on the next page, 4.11, um, this is an interesting exchange between Andre and Dmitri. Um, Andre says in the middle of 4, 4.11, just now um, Fedoshka Markovna, that's Fenya, you remember that's Grushenka's um, servant, the younger girl, fell at your feet begging you not to harm her mistress or anyone else, so sir, Well, I'm driving there. Forgive me, sir. Maybe I've said something foolish because of my conscience. Because Dimitri looks desperate. He looks dangerous. He he may kill somebody. And the coachman is making an appeal that he be careful. Then you know you have to make way. If you're a coachman, what do you do? not make way for people just run them down look out i'm coming no coachman do not run them down you must not run anyone down he says to the coachman you must not spoil people's lives if you have spoiled someone else's life punish yourself if ever you've spoiled if ever you've harmed someone's life punish yourself and go away so he's saying basically what Zasimov did he's saying um, you have to take your, whatever difficulties in another person's life into yourself in whatever you do you just can't walk over people, which is what we just saw in, in um, Samsonov and um, the woman who said, go to the mines, go to the mines. They, they care nothing for human beings. They only care about their own comfort and wealth. That's true, dear Dmitri um, Fyodorovich. You're right there. One mustn't run a man down or tormenting or any other creature either, for every creature has been created. A horse... For example, because there's people that just barrel on regardless of us coachmen. We know people I mean very often you can watch a, somebody in a wealthy car drive through the streets as if there's nobody around. there's no holding him back to just keep pushing on, pushing right on because of his wealth. Um, go down now. as they're driving, Mitya begins to pray. Dmitri begins to pray. But Mitya did not hear. He was frantically praying, whispering wildly to himself, Lord, take me in all my lawlessness, but do not judge me. Let me pass without your judgment. Do not judge me, for I have condemned myself. Do not judge me, for I love you, Lord. I am loathsome, but I love you. If you send me to hell, even there I will love you. And from there I will cry that I love you unto ages of ages. But let me also finish with loving Finish here and now with loving for five hours only, till your hot ray, for I love the queen of my soul, I love her and cannot love and cannot not love her. You see all of me, I will gallop up, I will fall before her. You are right to pass me by, farewell, forget your victim, never trouble yourself. He reminds me of I just I mean I think for a lot of us I would assume, that so many of us carry our sins aware if we died tomorrow, we'd still have our sins with us and we'd hope Christ would forgive them. You know, it's not like we can just shake them. Um, we struggle what we, in the way we can to get rid of our sins, continue to do them and trust in Christ. Um, this passage reminds me of St. Augustine's um, passage in the, in the uh, I think it's in the confession, where he's, he's, he's given into lusts. He's having sexual affairs with women You'll get one of them pregnant and he'll have an illegitimate son. And he says, he asks for God, um, how's he put it? Um, Release me from this sin. But not now, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, it's not quite that, but it's, it, just, it, it strikes me that it's sort of in that vein. Um, I want to quickly go to the tavern. He arrives when he comes. He sees Grushenka with the pole, this officer who came to get her, and um, his friend and um, a, f- a companion of the pole. They all look gloomy and sad. And um, Dmitry goes up and sits down next to them. And what takes place in the next few moments is this exchange between the poles and Dmitri that shows national prejudices. The poles have nothing good to say about Russians and Dmitry's offended at, um, at what they say. And he will say things defending Russia. So you can see these national prejudices working out between the Poles and the Russians. Um, at one point, um, go to 429. Dmitry takes the two Poles into a room and bribes them. He offers them the $3,000 that he, that's all the money he says he supposedly has and, and, and can't give it all, so he, he promises what he can't give them the next day, but he promises that money and asks them to leave because it, it, it seems clear that Grushenka's not tied to him. As a matter of fact, we learn that she's disgusted with him, that this man that she gloried early in her life has turned about this scumbag. He's offensive, he's dirty, he's uncouth, he's, um, there's nothing kind in him at all and she's slowly realizing that she idealized him when she was a younger woman, and that the man before her is not the man that she remembered. Dimitri has to pick up on some of this, and so he takes advantage of the moment to bribe them to leave. The two men come back into the room on page 429. Pani Agrippina, he goes on in poll, he began exclaiming, But Grushenka suddenly seemed to lose all patience as if she'd been touched on her sorest spot. Russian, speak Russian, not a word of Polish. She's finding courage now because she's realizing this guy is not who she thought he was. And I think in some way she's disgusted with herself, really angry at herself that she did this, and now ready to get angry at him because he's so condescending. It's like he's doing her a favor, coming to get her after... He left. Um, you used to speak Russian. Did you forget it in five years? She was all flushed with anger. Pani Agrippina, I am Agrafina. I am Grushenka. Speak Russian. Own- I wish I I could- I wish I had a Russian accent right now. I <clears> won't <throat> listen to you. The pawn was panting with gonorr and in broken Russian quickly and promptly declared. Panic Agrafina. I came to forget the past and to forgive it. To forget what was, what has happened until today. Forgive, three, 430, forgive. You mean you came to forgive me? Grushenka interrupted, jumped up from her seat. Just so. I'm not pusillanimous, I'm magnanimous. The danger with magnanimity is I can't remember, it was a Christian, probably St. Augustine. Magnanimity is one of the greatest virtues of the ancient world, but it carries an element of egotism that you're being magnanimous to another person. For yourself and your own pride, and this man's pride is coming through. Everything he says, but I was surprised when I saw your lovers, Pan Mitya, the other room offended me. Offered me three thousand to depart. I spat in his face. What? He offered you money for me. Grushenka cried hysterically. Is it true, Mitya? How dare you? Am I for sale? Pani, Pani, Mitya cried out. She's pure. She's shining. I've never been her lover. It's a lie. How dare you defend me to him? Grushenka went on shouting. She's angry at both of them. I have been pure, not out of virtue, not from fear of Kuzma, but in order to stand proudly before him and have the right to call him a scoundrel when I'm, when I met him. But did he really not take? Did he really not take your money? He was, he was taking it. you exclaimed. Only he wanted all three thousand at once, and I offered him just part of it. He says, but of course, I heard I had the money. Um, she's furious at that moment. Um, Dmitry will take the two men, the two poles, into a room, and you remember, lock them up. And it's at that moment that Grushenka and Dmitri finally come together. 432, the beginning of chapter 8. What began then was almost an orgy. Grushenka says, I want to drink, I want to get quite drunk like before. And you know that all this food and wine that that Dmitri had sent to the tavern now comes out. And it's gonna be what I would call a Bacchanal. I think this is an important turning point. It's a Bacchanal. They start drinking, page 433. What a darling he is, what a wonderful boy. Mitchie would run in rapture to kiss Kavanov and Maximov. Oh, he was expecting so much. She had not yet said anything to him. She obviously put off saying anything on purpose and only glanced at him from time to time with caressing but ardent eyes. Finally, she suddenly caught him fast by the hand and pulled him forcefully to herself. She was then sitting in the armchair by the door. How you walked in tonight? hmm? You walked in, I was so frightened. So you wanted to give me up to him, did you really? I didn't want to ruin your happiness, Mitch Prattle. Now go, enjoy, she chased him back again. And don't cry, I'll call you back. Down below, he comes back. Well, if he's sick, God help him. Were you really going to shoot yourself tomorrow? What a silly man, but why? I love such men, reckless men. She declares her love, sends him out to enjoy himself again. Um, the, the two, um, on page um, 437, this is a moment when Dimitri has to face himself and the end he intended to make of this he was going to take his life so it's like a light comes to him a bright light Um, at the bottom of 436 a terrible awful light if i'm going to shoot myself what better time than now Swept through his mind go and get the pistol bring it out here and everything in this dark dingy corner for almost a minute he stood undecided shame lay behind him that evening as he was flying there the theft he'd already committed carried out the blood that blood But it had been easier for him then, oh, much easier. Everything had been finished then. It's much easier to end everything than bear it. Um, Easier for him, oh, much easier. Everything had been finished then. He had lost her, given her up. She died for him, disappeared. Oh, his sentence seems light then. At least it appeared inevitable, necessary. It was a destiny. What was there to say about it? Was it the same now as then? Now at last one ghost, one bogey was out of the way. The former one, this indisputable and fatal man of hers had vanished without a trace. The terrible ghost had suddenly turned into something so small, so comical, it was carried to the bedroom and locked up. It would never return. She was ashamed and by her eyes, he could now see clearly whom she loved. So now all I had to do was live, but, but could he not live? Could he not, oh damnation, God restore him who struck down the fence. Let this terrible cup pass from me. You work miracles, O oh Lord, for sinners like me. What What if the old man is alive? Is everybody clear on what's happening? Right at this moment, it's like he's been freed. In one sense, his burden would have been lightened by this destiny. He could have taken his life and that would have been it. But now he sees from Grushenka that he is loved. Um, but to love her, uh, presents him with the possibility he might never be able to love her because he thinks he left a man dead with all this blood. In fact he's going to say that um, at uh, um, 437 at the bottom. What's with him, Mitya thought fleetingly she, and ran into the room where the girls were dancing. But she was not there. She was not in the blue room either. Only Kalganov was dozing on the sofa. Mitya peeked behind the curtain. She was there. She was sitting in the corner on a chest, her head and arms leaning on the bed beside her crying bitterly trying very hard to hold back and stifle her sobs so that no one would hear her seeing mitcha she beckoned to him and when he ran over at her she caught him firmly by the hand mitcha mitcha i did love him she began in a whisper i loved him so all these five years all all this while did i love him or only my spite no him oh him it's a lie that i loved only my spite and not him Mitch, I was just 17 then. He was so tender with me, so merry, and he sang me songs. Or did he only seem that way to me, to a foolish girl? And now, Lord, it's not the same man, not him at all, and it's not his face, not his at all. I didn't even recognize his face. I was driving here with Tumofay and kept making, thinking all the way. I kept thinking, how shall I meet him? What shall I say? How shall we look at each other? My soul was frozen, and then it was as if he emptied a bucket of slops on me. Talks like a schoolmaster, so learned, so pompous. He greeted me so pompously. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't get a word in. At first I thought he was embarrassed in front of the other one, that tall one. I sat looking at them and thought, why is it I don't know how to speak with him now? You know it's his wife that did, that did it to him, the one he married then after he dropped me. She's the one that changed him. Go down, um, listen, tell me whom I love. I love one man here. Who is it? You tell me. A smile laughed on her face, swollen with tears. Her eyes shone in the semi-darkness. Tonight a falcon walked in and my heart sank inside me. You fool, this is the one you love. Um, What is he afraid of? um, Go down, Mitcha, Mitcha, how could I be such a fool to think that I could love another after you? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me or not do you love me you know that he declares his love she she confesses her shame at herself she's done that a number of times up to this point and it's at this point he he puts his head on her breast she falls off to sleep um, I want to read this hold on page 442 um, She says that she, on top of 442, she says, um, well, let me read. For, she declares her love for him and says, even if they have to go to Siberia, she'll go with him and work. The two of them will work the earth together. She will be faithful. She says, I'll be your slave. Whatever you do, you can beat me, do whatever you want. I will love you. He asked why Siberia because he doesn't know if she's got the murder on his, her mind when she doesn't know about it. Um, I think it's because she was concerned that she might be guilty of a crime. She starts to fall off to sleep at the bottom of 442. Um, What was I asleep? Yes, the bell. I fell asleep and had a dream that I was driving over the snow. A bell was ringing and I was dozing because a bell is going off in the background, a real one. It seemed that I was driving with somebody very dear to me with you far, far away. I was embracing you and kissing you, pressing close to you as if it were cold and the snow was glistening. You know how snow glistens at night and there's a new moon and you feel it as if you're not on the earth. I woke up and my dear was beside me, how good. Beside you, he says, kissing her. Um, And then suddenly, as he's expressing his love to her, it's almost as if they're gonna make love in this moment. Um, He's looking at her and she's looking past him and she sees the um, police come in, and it's at this point you know that the interrogation is going to take place because they assume that he he's the one who killed the father. I've just got a couple of questions, and I want to end the, our time tonight with these questions, just to hear your thoughts on them. Um, um, I I think we tackled the first one. Why all this rigmarole? Why why all this? Dostoevsky spent Several chapters talking about his attempts to get to Samsonov and the woman to get the money and finally to get to the tavern and and then to watch what happened there between Grishenka and um, and uh, Dmitri. But this is this is the res- the resolution of Dmitri's life. It's it's the resolution to his crisis. He set out that evening intending to take his life. He even had a moment in the carriage ride when he. Imagine himself jumping out and ending it. No reason to go on, except Grushenka. It was his love of her that kept him going. Even if it meant he was going to die, he wanted to give all this stuff to her, to lavish all this, in a, in a gesture of farewell. Say goodbye to her. And then kill himself. And then suddenly all these things happen with the poles and, and then everything that happens afterwards when the two are... Well, let's just see, they've had a lot of wine. And I, I'm going to call it a bacchanal because remember, when he gets rid of the Poles, that, that chapter begins, it says it's almost like an orgy. You know, she says, Let there be dancing, and there's drinking, and the, um, the drinks are flowing, and you can hear that Grushenka's getting close to being drunk, and so is Dmitri. He has that moment where he leaves the room and thinks about taking his life again, and then doesn't come back. What's going on and and why is the setting of this, um, the resolution to Dimitris' crisis a Bacchanal? Is that an accident or not or? So Zosima's crisis resolved, Alyosha's crisis gets resolved Dimitri is now having a crisis, and it, seem, it seems to be resolved. Except we know the inspector is going to come in, and just when the two of them are close to making love, he's going to be interrogated. And what, what? In fact, I'll give away what's going to happen in the next couple of chapters is going to be probably the most humiliating, one of the most humiliating moments in the whole of the story. You know that he's going to be interrogated, and at the end of his interrogation, the interrogating officers are going to have him strip. If you haven't read it, you, you be you be sure to read it. Just read it. It it's it's an expression of how humiliating the legal system can be. They think he's the murderer. We don't know yet. Um, I think we can assume that he's not, but we won't we won't know for sure for a while. But they have no evidence and make the assumption that he is, and they treat him like a criminal, so they have him undress. And the the most humiliating I mean he comes down to the point where he's got a you know, a shirt and shorts, and he has to take all of that off. And then the the most humiliating moment is when he's asked to take his socks off and expose his toes. Now that may not sound like anything, but I'm convinced, remember, Dostoevsky was taken before a firing squad. He's gonna be executed. And I'm absolutely convinced that in that, you know, in, in the preparation for that firing squad, they had him undressing. And he had to look at his toes and his covered up body in that moment was degrading and humiliating. It's like he, everything grotesque about a person in his ugly toes or, was exposed. So all of his dignity as a human being was taken away in the moment before he was let out to be shot. And the way that Dostoevsky presents that scene is so much like that, that it's just a humiliating procedure. Um, if you've not read it, you want to read it. But anyway, at at, at this point, the lovers come together. It's So it's the first time in years that, that this happened. Why does it happen like this? What are your thoughts? We've, we've gone through two two major figures who underwent a crisis. This is the third. What's your thoughts on the way, what happens here between Grushenka and Dmitri? And let, let me even put it another way. Could it have happened another way? Or is there something going on here that is appropriate to, to the two of them? Nikki. What are your thoughts? Come on. What do you think? I don't
2: know, I didn't get that
0: far. <laughs> Everybody I've talked to, I don't know, I, I think there's only a few people that I know who finished the book. Jeannie, did you finish it? Did you? Do you have any thoughts about this, about what's going on between Grushenka and Dmitri?
2: Um, maybe that he because Mitya was his mind was so disordered maybe they had to have this crisis in a very kind of wild and disorderly sort of way I don't know that's all I can think of
0: Tracy what's your thoughts God I'm so glad to put a question to you on a book <laughs>
2: Well, I haven't gotten this far, but my guess would be what uh, Jeannie just said, just based on listening to you.
0: Flesh that out at all? Can you... Well, let me, hold on. Next week, just in case, just so you all know, um, when when it comes time to sign in or whatever you do, be invited in, there's going to be a condition at top that says, you have to fill out this quiz first. <laughs> Debbie, what are your thoughts? Come on. You've been drinking wine all night. Come on. Oh, sorry, there's no audio.
2: Sorry, you're right, I have, and I have
1: no
0: thought. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought right now is to get some wine so I can answer it. Mike, you have a thought? Yeah. Do you have a thought, Doug?
1: No, just I mean basically what what Jean, Jean said. said yeah. yeah, that that they needed the alcohol to loosen things up a little bit because they were so tied in nuts. Both of them.
0: Yeah. There's this work that we haven't read together by Euripides called um um, God. Um, the, um, I think it's the Bacchae. And it's about a man, a king named Pentheus, who is, um, he's the, it's like the prototype of Puritans, very Puritan, very austere and Puritan. And the, the action moves towards this point where all of these furies, women, it's the harpies, um, attack him and, and dismember him. And they're all, this is really crucial, they're all inspired by the god Dionysius, the god of wine. Debbie, you'll appreciate that. Um, (laughs) We need to go now. No, no, wait. Oh, you go ahead.
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I
0: do. Oh, wait, let me finish, Marcy, you... It's the god Dionysius, who's the god of wine, and uh, if you know anything about the ancient... Um, theater celebrations, they were generally preceded by a phallus symbol in a procession. And um, Dionysius was the god of wine. He, he was the one who helped people lose their inhibitions. And Dionysius is one of the gods in the ancient world that most resembles Christ, that prefigures him. If you read that play, it's impossible to read it without seeing that um, how many ways he Um, prefigures Christ, incarnate the grapes, the wine, I mean, um, and the, the, I mean, this is not doing justice to a really important play, but the upshot is that it was the Puritan of this man, the Puritanism, that out of which this reaction arose, so these women tear him apart. Because in one sense what he's doing by his Puritanism is Dis, um, dishonoring, defiling, degrading the human body. Um, so one of the interesting things about this whole, you know, few chapters involving Grushenka and um, Dmitri is that it's only when they drink a little bit too much, they're still both coherent, but they've had a little bit too much, that they begin to lose their inhibitions and the pride associated so they can get through... Those inhibitions and what's the word reservations? Isn't inhibitions the the pride that we take in our appearances or social manners that very often gets in the way of getting to something deeper, you know? In yeah. the way, because love always love truly in its in its when it's most real tends to involve us in our vulnerability. That you know if we open yeah. ourselves like that, particularly if you take seriously what I said earlier that. That um, if if we're meant to indwell with one another, it involves risks because it means taking into yourself, becoming a part of your own being, something that's going to be really painful. So the drinking is, is not a small thing, I think, in this case. And I think it's so appropriate. It's not what it's it, it's not what have happened, it's not what would have happened for Zosima, it's not what would have happened for Alyosha, but in some sense I think it's absolutely appropriate for Dimitri and because they're both very passionate lovers Got
1: it.
0: so um, it's to me I it's it's like an affirmation of something Bacchanal that there are times when we're meant to drink wine you know I'm not kidding I just think there are times when when we you know I mean you you I mean I you, you, if Suzanne were honest I mean there are times when we sort of laugh each other at the end of the day and say would you like a glass of wine and I'll say give me a bottle. I know all of you know that experience. Yeah. A, a, a glass of wine is simply not going to do it. Um, so anyway it, I think it's another instance of Dostoevsky's extraordinary power to see the way this crisis, this national crisis is playing out and the, the way it affects different people differently. We can't make judgments um, on people without seeing them. This is where psychology goes wrong. Without seeing whatever goes on inwardly in them, which is impossible for us to see anyway, set against the larger world that impacts them. Because it's the relationship between those two things that causes these problems. You can't separate what's going on between Grushenka and Dimitri from this larger world that we've been talking about. So... Dostoevsky is extraordinary in the way he's just able to show the richness of character because it's these characters set against a larger world. Um, so I, I think it's an extraordinary passage. Um, and, and the third crisis now. And, and, it's, and, and it's really important to see this. Before the crisis is fully resolved, and this is crucial, it's not fully resolved. They just declared their love for each other. Because what's going to happen now is Dmitri going to be interrogated. He's going to be put in jail. Grushenka going to be put on the spot. She can't consummate her love. Neither can he. And Katrina is going to come in as a witness. And the two women hate each other. So the crisis right now is in suspense. It's it's moving towards what I believe is the most powerful part of the novel. Because now we're going to deal with Ivan Yvonne and Ivan's meeting with Smerdyakov and Ivan's meeting in Ivan's meeting with the devil. So we are headed for dark stuff. Okay. Thank
1: you. Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Say good night to you all. Any questions or comments before we leave? Huge quiz before anybody's into this room next week. I can't tell you what a pleasure, what a joy, I'm not kidding, what a joy it is to see all your Particular smiles. It's just a joy to see you guys. See you next see you next week. You got you all of you be safe. Okay? Be safe. Okay. What do I do, Mark? Just close down on the X? Exactly. Yeah?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm only three minutes late. It's cause I had the fifty minutes extra. And are you going to be able to do all this now without you Is there anything I need? I mean, I think it's pretty clear from what you did. I just go into that page.
2: Yeah, and I can also um, help. Uh, I can, like, dial in. Remember how you always do the team viewer? Yeah. You can just do a team viewer session tomorrow if you want. If, if you need a little bit
0: more help getting you know things started, I can, I'd can. i be happy to. I want to be careful of your time. Oh, you mean for the class tomorrow?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I can on, just, from, from home? my home, I can just dial in. Will
0: you be there quarter of six-six? Yeah, no problem. Can we plan to do that, please? Sure. Be there for sure? Yeah. Because no I'm still shaking on all of this. Of course. Here, let me get this ready for tomorrow. Oh, boy. Strange to be back.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't I see it, duck. I'm going to get it this Isn't it strange?
1: hmm
0: It was so wonderful to see that. I'm sorry, not, not everybody got on... Gita disappeared and and um, she left. What's her? I think she did. And um, Jolie, I'm not sure. And I, Don disappeared. I mean, early on, I don't. Several people. I don't know if they were still on. That it would only accommodate so many people, or I,
1: don't I know think what you happened. had 16 people at the the high point of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, several. A number of people weren't there. Can you take that in, Doc? Yes,
1: I will.
0: Um, I hope things pick up again, and I hope the church will promote it. The church has not been good about this. but It's
1: good to hear Tracy.
0: It really was. God. Tracy was a part of the class for years, and she moved to... Where is the dog Waco? Oh, Sorry?